This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. It's a privilege to be here with all of you. Just now, Nick was um, sharing the value of vision. I think it's a fantastic book um, of prayer. Have you sang songs when the lyrics just say hits you and say, this is exactly what I want to say, but the song just brought out the words because they were so rich in scriptures. I remember I have a, a leather-bound version, or imitated leather-bound version, I can't remember which one was it, of this book. And, and I love it because... The, the prayer, except for the D and Da, which you change to you and me, uh, the, the, the richness of the prayer sometimes, um, brings us back to reality when we are busy in our lives and sometimes we can't remember what to pray or really pray things that strikes, uh, what our souls needs. So I left my copy when, uh, my mentor died, was dying in the hospital in Perth. So I left my copy and when I came back, I couldn't afford a, another letter bound, but I got an online version. So if you can't get a hard copy, uh, e-Kindle, you can find uh, uh, the online version as well. But I recommend that this is a great um, great resource to equip ourselves to learn how to pray and to re- actually to pray to God. So this morning, we are coming back to the series of Matthew. And uh, let me begin by praying because this passage is fantastic as Jesus finally speaks. One sentence, uh, but it's wonderful. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you prepare our hearts this afternoon, that our hearts, our minds, and our will will be engaged with your truth. Let the words of Christ rest upon our hearts and stir our soul, that God, we may not just listen, but we desire to respond. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, Jesus said more than one sentence this um, this week, but um, it's great. Next week onwards, he's going to have a whole series uh, of um, him teaching God's word, and I recommend bringing our friends to um, study it together. So, if you have your bulletin, which is which I call the survival kit, the Bible passage is there, and uh, I'll be looking at it carefully, and it'll be a good way for us to learn how to read God's word as well. So this morning we are looking, uh, this afternoon we are looking at Matthew chapter 4 verse 12 to verse 25 and I want to begin with this question. How do we expect God to establish His kingdom? Let me say that again. How do we expect God to establish His kingdom? Now we have seen how man established kingdom, but how does God establish His kingdom? Now last week when we read about the temptation of Jesus, we saw how Jesus came forth victorious against the devil. Jesus refused to receive the kingdom of heaven through the way of hell, which is by worshipping the devil. And he says he will establish the kingdom by the way of God. So it begins today's passage. So look at verse 12 with me as we see how Jesus begins to establish his kingdom. Look at verse 12 with me. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to the religious center of Jerusalem. Is that what it says? Well, if, if you are actually looking at your passage, I left dot 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 on purpose, right? If you, if you look at it, he didn't go to Jerusalem at all. 
Because after John, God's messenger was imprisoned, um, after he was um, baptizing people and preaching the good news, um, Jesus began his ministry, but he did not begin by stepping into the religious center of the religious. Jesus did not enter the temple in Jerusalem because that's where all the religious people are, where the holy people are. He did not go to where the religious elites are to say, I'm going to bring in God's kingdom. Let's rally up and begin. He went to the age of where Jerusalem or the Jewish people are to Capernaum, to the lake of Zebulun, to Naphtali. And he began his grand ministry of ushering God's kingdom by going to the age. Now, what an unusual way for Jesus to actually begin a ministry, isn't it? In fact, it's kind of an unusual strategy. Has Jesus totally got it wrong? Because after all, what if influential support could Jesus get if he goes to the age of um, God's people? But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was fulfilling yet another prophecy that reveals that the Messiah God will bring in the kingdom of heaven. And this prophecy was given 700 years before Jesus was even born. So now buckle up, if you would, uh, and jump in the time machine with me. And I'll just bring us back to the 8th century BC for just a short while and to see how did this prophecy came about that Jesus would use it to usher in the kingdom. So buckle on, bring your sandals. As you enter the 8th century BC, standing among God's people, this is what's happening. If you look around, the people of God are having anything but peace. In fact, God, the people are being stirred up because God has sent His own messenger, a prophet by name Isaiah, And Isaiah came and spoke God's judgment on God's people. Isaiah came and said, God's people, you will suffer under your enemies, the Assyrians, because you have rebelled against your God. And then the prophet Isaiah started to accuse the people of God for being unfaithful. That on one hand, you guys go to the temple to worship God, but I know what you do. On your side, you go to the mediums and the spiritists to ask for help. You unfaithful and betrayal adulterous people. So, before today's prophecy came about, Isaiah actually said this word, which I brought to you from Isaiah chapter 8. This is what Isaiah said to the people. Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land, When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking up, they will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. 8th century BC. This was the state of Israel at the time that they are living in a deep state of darkness. But you know what? Actually, this kind of picture of darkness is not something that is foreign to us. If you just look at our news, if you just look at our world, you'll see that there are people who live in darkness, who are living in gloom, as they face maybe physical enemies of war, of terrorism, of death. But then there are some of us who also experience the same thing internally, internal wars within us. 
struggles, spiritual death that we can't shake out of ourselves, no matter how we live our lives. So Isaiah was speaking to a people who did not return to God. So in the days of suffering, what will these people do? They'll look up and they'll curse their leaders and they'll curse God. And then they'll look to the earth for help and they'll find only distress, darkness, fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. So that was the picture before the prophecy came in. Such was the state of darkness that the people have to face because God was putting judgment there. And when you think that things can't get any better, Isaiah in that same portion suddenly turned around from condemnation of sin, consequence of darkness, and he suddenly prophesied a hope for the future. And that's Isaiah chapter 9. The whole thing is a messianic passage. But let me just bring that little bit for today. Um, passage for us. So after they had looked, and in verse 22, they will look towards the earth, they will see only distress, darkness, fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Isaiah continued, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So if you, have, if you see the map that I put up on, uh, on, the, on here, yeah, this is a bigger one, um, you'll find the land of Zebulun and Nef- land of Naphtali. Can you see it? You've got an arrow there. And at the Sea of Galilee, the way of sea, and beyond Jordan, this is Jordan, beyond Jordan. Um, historically, these are areas of political and spiritual dis- darkness. They are the most vulnerable for enemies attacked. In fact, that was where they were attacked. So that was most vulnerable for enemies attacked, and that is the place of greatest spiritual darkness, because that's where the Gentiles and the Jews, they will have a trading. And that's where religions and policies get mixed up, marriages get mixed up, and you can adopt other gods. These are places of poor religious reputation even in Jesus' time that uh, we have looked at uh, earlier on and we'll see more later on. Amongst God's people living in darkness, you know, Isaiah prophesies that before the time of Jesus, that one day darkness will see light. Places despised by the religious elites will be the very place that God will usher in light into a dark, rebellious world. So now as you step back to Jesus' time and today's passage, let me read again what Matthew has for us. Matthew 4, 12-16 Jesus' unusual beginning When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth where he had lived for a long time, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, people living in darkness, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And so began Jesus' ministry. For who would have thought the place that was destroyed in Isaiah's time, the place that was despised in Jesus' time, the place of darkness was the very place God's 
king chose to bring in the kingdom of heaven. As we pause here, I want to ask this question. Is there any place on earth that is too gloomy for God to bring light? Are there any people who are too sinful and rebellious that God would totally reject them and not give them a chance? Because as we read this passage, Jesus did. In fact, this is how Jesus began his ministry. What seems to be most unusual for the gathering of God's kingdom is the very place God's kingdom is brought in. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, those who are sitting on the edge of death, light has come and Jesus begins to preach. Verse 17, look at it with me. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So like John the baptizer, Jesus said this, he begins with repent and he ends with near. Jesus is saying, people of darkness, repent. Turn away from sin and darkness because the end is near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And unless you repent, you will not be ready when the kingdom of heaven comes in its full glory. No, like, unlike a world that promotes eat, drink, play, repeat. I don't know, have you seen that around? Unlike a world that says eat, drink, play, repeat. Jesus is saying that there is no repeat when the kingdom of heaven arrives. Therefore, repent while there is still time. Now, while this sounds like a grave warning, actually, this is a declaration of hope. Because by Jesus going to Zebulun and Naphtali, Jesus starts from the most despised and says, God's rescue is here and you have a share in it if you turn back to God. That's what Jesus is saying. And when John the baptizer cries out, repent, people need to listen because John was the messenger. But when Jesus comes and says, repent, the world must listen because he is the one who can forgive because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and the one who will bring his people into the kingdom. So dear friends, the words of John, uh, the words of Jesus in Matthew 17, verse 17, are not just for people in Capernaum, but they are people for all of us, including those, that includes those who hear us and respond, those who realize that actually we are living in darkness, we are living in lostness, we are living in at the age of death, and says, God, please help. And Jesus says, I will. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is offered to all of us. Now, not only did Jesus begin the kingdom in the most unusual place, we start to see he's going to um, call the most unlikely people to be in his inner circle. Look on to verse 18 to 22. With me, the most unlikely calling. Verse 18, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net in the lake for they were fishermen. Verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now even as Jesus ushers in the kingdom of heaven, who would expect the king to be calling fishermen to be his royal messengers instead of the spiritual elites. Well, he should be calling the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the priests, because 
If anyone wants to hear about spiritual stuff, people always go to these people. If anyone wants to have a hope to enter heaven, they'll look for the priests, they'll look for the teachers. But no, this is not what Jesus is gathering to be his royal messengers. He went to find fishermen who are busy fishing rather than thinking about God. And if, if you have lenses, you see, because we are reading um, Matthew, right? Sometimes I'll get you to wear different lenses. Imagine if you are wearing lenses of someone who has really seen all that has happened. Okay, Jesus, the events of Jesus and the disciples happened. And they are reading Matthew, not like uh, waiting to see what's happening, but you have already known what is happening and you want explanation. You realize that when we read verse 19, there is a lot of things happening in that short statement. Verse 19, Jesus says, Come, follow me. You know, the fishermen, Peter and Andrew, they, they haven't fully come fully comprehend what it means to follow Jesus. They, they understand Jesus says, come follow me means that he will draw, use them to draw people into the kingdom. This fisherman term, right? To be fishers of men. So draw people into God's kingdom. But they have yet to understand, but they will soon experience that following Jesus includes suffering, persecution, and even death for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, for the sake of people who are lost in darkness, those who are to call people into the kingdom of heaven will face suffering. And this is totally unlike what some teachers teach today, that following Jesus means blessings and wealth. Because this first calling is showing us that following Jesus will cause us everything. Look again at verse 19 to 20. Jesus said, come, follow me. Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. It's important to notice, look at this, two, these two verses, the emphasis that the author wants us to recognize. Because Peter and Andrew, they left their nets and they followed Jesus. You know, nets are everything that fishermen identify themselves with. You leave your net and you follow Jesus, you can't call yourself a fisherman. You don't even have nets. But they did. Immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. And just in case we miss the emphasis, Matthew continues, verse 21 and 22. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now again, as Jesus walks on, he sees another two fishermen, siblings, and he calls them and they left their boat. Now you really, really can't call yourself a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee if you don't even sit on a boat. And when he left their father, presumably their family business and everything, their precious relationships, they followed Jesus. You now in this most unlikely calling of the first royal messengers and followers of the king, Jesus begins to reveal what it really means to follow after Jesus and to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus was not looking for any special professionals. He's not looking for people with skill sets because he will be in Jerusalem, those who have already studied the scriptures a lot and those who are well revealed. He's not looking for anyone with special skills or profession. He's calling people into a relationship with him and he says, come follow me. He's looking for people who will follow and who are willing to follow him. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus in our 
kind of circumstances. You no, know, there are many in our modern world who who have a different interpretation of what it means to follow Jesus, um, and some of them are wrong. So let me first give some of the um, examples of what following Jesus does not mean. Okay, the first is this: for some religious people, they think that following Jesus is this, but following Jesus does not mean adding Jesus into their list of gods. You know, some people who are religious, sure, no problem, add it in. Or people who would think that believing in Jesus up their chance of going to heaven. That's not the way to follow Jesus. To those who are intellectuals, intellects, following Jesus does not mean adding Jesus to another list of gurus. You know, you put your Bible along with all the self-help books in Kinokuniya. That's not how it means to follow Jesus. To those who are business people, professionals, or people who are trying to do well in life, following Jesus does not mean keeping some moral laws and then getting some blessings in exchange. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Following Jesus means that Jesus will take priority over all the things and the relationships we have. Following Jesus is not adding Jesus to our range of assets. Following Jesus is giving up everything for the sake of Him. When Jesus says, come, follow me, He's asking them who are willing to follow to leave behind all things that hinders. So as we kind of pause here, brothers and sisters and friends, what is our equivalent of our, our nets, our boats, our relationships? Um, what are the things that would hinder us from following Jesus? I think it's good good time to actually think what are some of the things that will hinder us from really following Jesus. But I want to add on just here a bit to clarify that when Jesus says follow him, I don't think he's asking everyone to be kind of vocational missionaries. Although I think it's, it, we shouldn't just be too quick to throw it away because it might be. But it's not asking everyone to be vocational missionaries. But it is to put our priorities and loyalties to Jesus. That He will take our first place and we must be willing to drop nets or boats if these are the things, are our other backup gods that we can lean back in times that Jesus doesn't work. Uh, there isn't. Following Jesus means leaving them behind. Now we've spoken briefly about the cost of following Jesus. I want to show you that next to the cost is something that's brilliant that comes in following Jesus and is beautiful and that's what the world desperately needs. So when Jesus says, come follow me, he's saying that I am the way to the kingdom of heaven. I am the truth that will set you free. I'm the life in the shadow and the age of death. Because those who follow Jesus, He will bring them out from darkness to light, from shame to glory, from eternal judgment to eternal life, from hell to heaven, from enemies to be children of God. That's what Jesus calls when He says, follow me. It's a big call that no one else can say. In fact, He says, follow me. He's not teaching His disciples some you know, evangelism tactics, you know, how to, how to sell Jesus, right? He's saying, when you come and follow me, I'll make you fishes of men. He's saying that 
when you come and follow me, I will give you the identity and the authority to bring people into the kingdom of heaven as well. There's a theologian who puts it uh, this way. Let me just read a quote from him. He says this, It's no longer a question for Christians of taking fish from the lake, but drawing man up out of the abyss of sin and darkness and death, and then catching them in a great net of God. And the only people who can do that are people who are not in the net, are people who have been rescued out of darkness and who have been saved for the kingdom of heaven. That's what verse 19 is saying, isn't it? Let me read verse 19 again. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And that's exactly what Peter, Andrew, James, John did. They heard, they believed, they gave up, they followed. So dear friends, these words are again not just for fishermen, but for all who listen. Just as verse 7 says, repent, turn away from darkness. Verse 17 here says, verse 19 says, follow me and turn towards the light. Turn away from darkness, repent, and follow me, turn towards the light. You know, for some of us, it might mean yes to following Jesus for the first time. For some of us, it may mean yes, I will continue to follow Jesus, even as we discover that it's costly to follow Jesus. And that's when we need to depend on him. Now, finally, the king, he begins in a kind of unusual place, calls the most unlikely followers. Now he's going to carry out his mission in the most unexpected way, in verse 23 to 25. To understand why it is unexpected, we need to uh, go back to Matthew chapter 3 from John the Baptist, because what he's saying about the coming of the king uh, is slightly different from what Jesus is going to do. So earlier on, John the baptizer describes that when the Messiah comes, he's going to bring about a swift and sudden judgment. This is what John the baptizer said in Matthew 3. Let me read this for us. The axe is already at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. And then he goes on, the wind, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn and burn out the shaft with unquenchable fire. You know, John was kind of expecting when the Messiah came to appear, the end of everything will appear soon. That's what uh, John would kind of expect. The king will come with winnowing fork, bring judgment. Those who are worthy will be gathered. Those who are unworthy will be thrown into the fire. But as Jesus enters the picture, he did not immediately gather those who are ready and worthy for kingdom of heaven. Because there are none. And he didn't bring about a final judgment and burn everyone out because that will be all. Instead, look at verse 23. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. No, his immediate gathering of people was not an immediate judgment yet. Jesus was gathering people in a way that's unheard of because Jesus came, he went about teaching um, the scriptures because that's what people do in the synagogue. He went about um, Galilee proclaiming the great news of the kingdom of heaven and then Jesus did what no one else had done. He began to heal every disease and sickness among the people. No, Jesus not only spoke, but he started to work. And that is the way the kingdom of heaven will be brought in. Not just by the words of Jesus, but by the works 
of Jesus. You know, with Jesus starting to heal, the inbreaking of heaven start to uh, begin. Because for the Jews, and actually perhaps for us, when we think about heaven, what do we really think of? We really think of the time when there's no more death, no more sorrows, no more shame, no more fear, no more disease, no more decay. For the Jews, it's very clear that what has begun in Genesis 3 will be reversed. So when Jesus appeared, suddenly a glimpse of heaven start to appear. Now Jesus, when he started using miracles, he started performing miracles, he wasn't using miracles to draw people to him, to say, look at me, look at me. But rather miracles happened because the king of the kingdom of heaven was walking on earth. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't come to perform miracles so that people would come and believe in him per se. But because miracles happen because the king of the kingdom of heaven has landed on earth, has walked the path of earth. And where the king walks, there the glimpse of heaven appears. Because he is the king. The Jews understood sickness to be the cause of the fall of humanity. And they know that the only way for that to reverse is when God reverses it. And that's what is happening when Jesus comes and starts healing. What they see is a reversal of the fall of humanity. This unbeliever news spread like wildfire. Look at verse 24 to 25. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. The places we are talking about is actually a very large place. Um, I'm not sure if you can see the, the map up there. Uh, it's, it's a very large place. Syria is a large kind of Roman province. And crowds came from Galilee where te- Jesus is uh, teaching, preaching, and healing. Decapolis means 10 cities on the other side. And then you have the southerners, the Jerusalem people, the Judeans, and even the region on the other side of Jordan coming up to the despised northern uh, place, at least religiously. So, And Jesus healed all the diseases, including demon possession, including sickness that can't be cured in the first century. Now, dear friends, as we as we look at this and as we read this, it's easy to kind of get a bit distracted and say, ah, maybe there's a place for healing in our present time. But you know what? The focus of this passage here is really to review that Jesus did not come straight away to gather the worthy and to judge the unworthy because there will be nothing left. Jesus came instead to teach how the scripture points to him and he preached the great news to people, and it can only this great news can only be good news if we can enter the kingdom of heaven. So he preached this great news of the kingdom of heaven, and he reveals a glimpse of what heaven, the kingdom of heaven, looks like when the people sees the king. So even John the Baptist, when he understood him, Jesus called him one of the greatest men around that he can only catch a glimpse of how the kingdom of heaven looks like and how the king will be. The only person who can reveal how God's kingdom looks like and how God will usher in the kingdom is God's own king. Only the king himself 
can reveal how the kingdom will happen. And it wasn't what John the Baptist or anyone else could have expected. But he did it. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And the crowds began to gather around Jesus. Of course, there would come a time where they would have to decide whether they would follow or they would turn away. But for today, as we look at today's passage of Matthew 4, how will we respond to Jesus? Will we repent if we need repenting of rebelling against Jesus, against God? Will we follow Him when He calls us, leaving behind everything that might hinder? And will we acknowledge Him as King and eventually be gathered as wheat into the kingdom of heaven? Or as how John the Baptist warned, to be shafts that will be thrown into unquenchable fire. So let's pray as we spend some time um, thanking God for, for Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus began gathering his people from places of darkness, which means all of us have the opportunity to enter the kingdom of heaven. Father, as we look at our own hearts, we know what it means to be in darkness and in desperate need of rescue. As we look at our own lives and look at our world, we know that everyone stands at the edge of the shadow of death. And you know who we are deep within. But Father Christ did not despise us. Instead, He comes for us, calling us to repent and offering us to follow Him. Dear Father, for those of us who have not yet followed King Jesus, we ask you would shine your light into our darkness that we may see how close we are to the shadow of death. Help us to repent and follow Jesus. For those of us who are already following Jesus and discovering how difficult it can be, help us to grow in our dependence on Jesus, to have trusting obedience and dependence on Him. And finally, Father, help us to look forward with confidence for the day when our King Jesus returns, we will truly be in the perfect kingdom of heaven. Where no death, no tears, no illness, no decay, no sin, no shame, no regrets will be remained. Till then, help us to grow in our knowledge and love for Christ. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, Visit us online at busypc.sg.